0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26. Uh, Last week, we uh, looked at one of the things, the characteristics, the mindset that has uh, marked our church body from its earliest days that I would hope would probably mark uh, each and every uh, church seeking to walk uh, faithfully with the Lord and hopefully would mark our lives individually as well. The. The idea of living in faith, of stepping out and trusting God with our lives, of of walking on water. And we talked about the book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to, to Get Out of the Boat, and demonstrating our faith in tangible ways. And we looked at the powerful message from that passage in Matthew 14, about Peter stepping out of the boat and having the tremendous opportunity... To walk on the top of the surface of the water by the power of Jesus and through relationship with Jesus. And so we saw that uh, last week and we began then to to ask ourselves a little bit last week about, okay, what does it mean to live that way? And then specifically, how does that translate into our prayer life, specifically a prayer life of dependent uh, prayer and we saw some of that in that passage, but to be honest with you, after I, I got through last Sunday and started you know, praying this week about the next message that we're headed to, I felt like, goodness, we we got to start on that. But, of course, there's so much more that could be said about prayer, but we need to say at least a little bit more. I want to circle back, and we kind of readjusted our schedule for the month along those lines, and talk a little bit more about what dependent prayer looks like. Because uh, most of us, if I was to ask a show of hands, starting with this one right up here, you know, who feels like they need work on their prayer life, we'd all put our hands up pretty quickly, uh, wherever you are spiritually. And even if you feel like your prayer life's going well, we probably all feel like there's room for us to grow. And so I want to walk through that today, and hopefully some of the passages and themes that we look at will give us some framework for that. Maybe some of us are wanting to begin a prayer life. Uh, Maybe some of us are wanting to grow more deeply in that. Uh, Maybe some of us have been doing that, but these would be good reminders of of where we should head with our uh, prayer relationship with the Lord. So read along with me. Uh, Probably, you know, not too many better places to look at than uh, Jesus's prayer, especially Jesus's prayer before he went to the cross. Uh, Read along with me silently as I read aloud. Matthew chapter 20, uh, 26, it is verses 38 through 42. Uh, This is in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus is arrested. And then he said to them, his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cap, this cup. Pass from me. The cup is a symbolic for the wrath of God that he was going to bear on our behalf. That cup. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we confess that these are really powerful words for us because we are amazed at the surrender, the submission, the dependence That Jesus shows and we are convicted that we find ourselves uh, standing right there with the disciples, not just standing, but asleep and lacking in our prayers. Father, we pray that you would help us today to see what it looks like to live out our faith in dependent prayer. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, the story's uh, told of a mother who invited a bunch of folks over for a fancy uh, dinner party at her house, and after all the preparations and energy and so forth was put into that, they finally sat down at the table, her and the guests and her children, and she decided to invite her six-year-old daughter to uh, say the blessing. The girl responded to her mother and said, I I really don't know what to, to say, Mom. I don't know. Know what to say in that prayer? The mom said, "Well, well, honey, just just say what you hear mommy say." The little girl said, "Well, okay." She bowed her head and began the dinner prayer and said, "This, Lord, why on earth did I invite all of these people to dinner?" <laughs> well, we uh, need to be careful, don't we? We need to be careful. Uh, how we pray. We need to be careful who we learn to pray from, where we get our prayer understanding. We uh, who have the opportunity of investing in others need to make sure that what we're passing along to them about prayer is sound and true. And, of course, we get all kinds of messages. You know, we might have an idea of prayer that comes from our mom. <laughs> we might have an idea of prayer that comes from our culture. We We might have it from all different directions if we're uh, Christians who are wanting to seek and walk in faithfulness to the Lord in in all areas and especially prayer we're going to want to hear what this has to say to us about prayer that's the foundational place to to look for for understanding and of course as we begin into this area of prayer i mean we've already you know probably already thinking about okay what is going on with my prayer life and that's a great question for us to ask individually at all different points you know what 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 is your method of prayer. What's your approach to prayer? Uh, you know, when do you pray? What, what do you pray about? Uh, same questions I would ask of myself on an individual basis, and, and then collectively, too, for us as a church body. It's just a simple fact that uh, God works through prayers not only individually, but collectively. And a church that's marked by people of prayer God's going to be at work. It may not always look exactly like what we think it's going to look like, but God's going to be at work. And so the question for us is, what is our approach to to prayer in the times during our worship service that we're pausing for prayers? That's something we're really joining in together when we're in our life groups or small groups or other uh, settings and we're gathered together. Are we intentional about that prayer to to pray in a way that honors God and really seeks His face and is dependent upon him. We see, of course, in all of this uh, that it's okay for us to have some conviction about it because only Jesus prays perfectly. Right. That's one of the things we're we're challenged by hearing Jesus's prayer there in the garden. But we're also amazed, aren't we, to remember and to recognize that there is one who prays perfectly, even though we do not. Right. Uh, in the, elsewhere in the scriptures, he groans you know, with, with prayers, intercedes for us with prayers that we cannot pray. So we have a, a prayer that flows as Christians out of the righteousness of Christ. Right? Our, our prayers aren't about us earning or meriting something or showing God that we're super devoted by having these times of prayer. Our prayers flow out of the fact that Jesus has already done it. That's why, if you think about it, we pray in Jesus' name. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, what that means. In fact, uh, one of my seminary professors, Brian Chappell, wrote a book that's a very good book on prayer, and it says it's called Praying Backwards. And his point is that we end our prayers with Jesus's name, which is which is well and good. But he would invite us to put Jesus's name at the beginning, at least in our mindset. That the only way we can call out to God, the only way we can come and have an audience with God or or, or hope that he would pour out his work in our lives is really because of what Jesus has done. It's not because you and me have any standing with the holy living God. So our prayers uh, flow out of what Jesus has done. And, and I thought it would be good to maybe start off today to walk through, OK, why do we actually struggle with prayer? Again, I'm assuming if we had a show of hands, we'd all say, yeah, I need some Some help with prayer. So let's let's walk through a couple of those things and then we'll try to look at how uh, how we can grow in our prayer life and what why we should be growing in our prayer life. What we can expect the blessings to come from it. Hopefully it'll be encouraging for us to think about this again individually and collectively for us to be a people who are marked more by dependent prayer. The first thing is that uh, we're probably confused about prayer. Uh, like the little three-year-old says, our Father who does art in heaven, herald is his name. You know, that's, that's kind of where we are sometimes. I don't even understand what some of these prayers are talking about. Uh, sometimes we sing songs on Sunday morning and we help. Jeff does a good job of helping us to understand some of the verbiage in there. And it helps to stretch us and expand our minds. But you've got to catch up, you know, you, otherwise we get a little confused. And you can follow along if you want to today in your worship guide. There is an extensive outline, so you may want to do that even if you don't normally do so. You know, Jesus had to teach his disciples how to pray. There's nothing wrong with you and with me acknowledging, I don't really know what I'm doing in prayer. I'm confused. Even if you've been praying for years, I need to learn. I need to grow. The Lord's prayer flows out of that. Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray. And we'll talk a little bit more about some solutions for that in a, in a few minutes. But we're confused. Uh, the second thing uh, I think that plagues us is we're pretty self-centered. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe self-sufficient would be a better way to specifically define it. And it goes uh, this way. Like uh, the missionary William Carey says. He says you can do more than pray after you pray. But you can't do more than pray until you pray. Man, if I would live by that. Man, if we would live by that, would that be incredible? You understand what he's saying? He says, there's there's more to life than just praying. There's our work responsibilities and our family responsibilities and opportunity to enjoy the world that God's put us in. And entertainment and fellowship and going out on nice dinners for Valentine's Day and whatever we do. There's all those things. and, And there's things that God's called us to as well. Actions we should take in the world. To serve and to minister, all of those things are true. But we really can't do those until we pray. We can do more than pray uh, after you pray, but you can't do more to pray until you pray. That's a good one, I think. If we'd kind of log that one away, it'd have a powerful influence in our lives. Uh, We tend to think life is about us, right? It's about the power that we supply. It's about the understanding that we have the energy, the abilities that we have instead of looking to God for that wisdom, for that insight, for that power, for that direction. And prayer is that vehicle to move from being self-sufficient to being God-sufficient. So we're self-centered. We're confused a bit about prayer. We tend to be self-sufficient. The third thing, I think I put it on your sheet as, uh, as being passive. What I mean here is sort of being negligent. This is maybe the flip side of what I just said. Sometimes we think about we're, we're uh, neglectful about prayer because we think ah I'll just get it all done, right? This life is about me and what I can accomplish. And we we don't say that outwardly, that's what we kind of that's how we live our lives. The opposite is that sometimes we can have this sort of let let go and let God mentality. Like and maybe it's a sort of corruption of a good perspective on God's sovereignty. We recognize that God's the one's directing all things. And and that's biblical to understand that. But then we adopt a passive or a negligent approach to it. I like what uh, John Calvin, one of the reformers, said. said, there's nothing that we are promised to expect from the Lord, listen to this, which we are not also bidden to ask of Him in prayer. It's absolutely true that it's by prayer that we dig up the treasures that were appointed out by the gospel of our Lord, in which our faith has gazed upon longingly. You get the picture here? He's picturing, you know, walking along with somebody, and hey, there's this huge, wonderful pile of treasures out there, but it's kind of buried over by something. And God, you know, God's desire through the gospel is to bless us, to have whatever that treasure is, spiritual growth, growth in our relationship, growth with him, walking in greater degrees of holiness. But but the shovel is prayer. We, we're given the opportunity to go dig those things up in order for us to enjoy the blessings of them. So it's great. I think mean, it's wonderful if we've got a view of God's sovereignty that's so huge that we recognize that he's in control and directing all things. But guess what? As believers, we live in this sort of paradoxical reality that we also believe prayer matters. Prayer affects things. Prayer is vital and important for us. So we tend to be confused. We tend to be self-sufficient. We tend to be passive or negligent. Uh, maybe this will get a little bit less theoretical, a little bit closer to home. Number four. Uh, we struggle with prayer because we're disappointed with prayer. Been there, done that, right? And uh, I, I humorously, I think, put in your worship guide a little uh, comment from the uh, Joyce, a little girl. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother. But what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> you know? Uh We've been there, done that. We've been there, done that with some more serious things, too, haven't we? But what I prayed for was the salvation of a family member I loved. But what I prayed for was the healing of a friend with terminal cancer. But what I prayed for was a deeper holiness in my life. But what I prayed for was better success in my business and my work. And you know what? We I think we probably all know if we've ever thought a little bit about prayer and asking God for things that God can answer in kind of three ways. You know, he can say yes. He can say, hold on, wait. And he can say no. And sometimes when he says says no, that we, we realize that's actually for the ultimate good of his plan in our world. And we, we can't go into all of that or try to digest that today. But the fact is, we ought to, we ought to grapple with it Part of why we don't pray, part of why I don't pray, is because I've been disappointed. I've prayed for things and I've gotten discouraged about it. And and we're reminded today of the hope that we ought to have in prayer. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Number five. And we just have a couple more here. Number five. We don't pray, I think, because we're too easily satisfied. We were actually talking about this a little bit at my uh, men's small group. This week, and I do hope you'll turn to the page in your worship guide that has those sermon notes as I read this. Jonathan Edwards statement again, Edwards, one of those Puritan guys lived in the early 1700s, known for if you've ever heard anything from him, you've probably heard about the sermon uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And which actually, if you read it, is not, you know, is actually a a really pretty solid message about the need that we have to turn uh, to Christ. But but most people only know that sort of bitterness. It seems like a bitter message instead of some of the other things that he's written. He wrote so many wonderful things. And and this is one of them. He really was a person that emphasized finding our delight and satisfaction and joy in God above all other things. So it's not surprising that he writes this related to prayer. And uh, and maybe this is what's holding us back. He says men cannot exceed in the degree of spiritual appetites. There's no such thing as any inordinateness in holy affections. There's no such thing as excess longings after the discoveries of the beauty of Christ Jesus, or greater degrees of holiness, or enjoyment of communion with God. Persons may, to their utmost, indulge their hungerings after righteousness and after the Word of God and after all spiritual pleasures. They may indulge those appetites as much as they will in their thoughts and in their meditations and in their practice. They may drink, yay, swim in the rivers of spiritual pleasure. We ought to take every opportunity to lay ourselves in the way of enticement with respect to our gracious inclination. Thus, you should be often with God in prayer, and then you'll be in the way of having your heart drawn forth to him. Here's the thing. None of us wants to be a weirdo. <laughs> That's my paraphrase of this. None of us wants to be the religious crazy person, right? And so, and and probably, I'm guessing, a lot of our personalities here that sometimes tend to come into our church circles are a little bit more uh, conservative type of folks. Even if we're not uh, all, you know, buttoned up perfectly in our little wardrobe today, we're kind of that way. And like for our life to be ordered, like for our life to be structured, uh, moderation seems like a good value to us. Do you hear what Edwards is saying here? He's saying part of the reason we don't pray is because it's taking us to a place that seems extreme, that seems excessive, to really get serious about prayer and really live our lives in complete and total dependence upon the living God is taking us to an extreme place that we're not sure we want to go to. It gets us out of the boat and we don't want to go there. And Edwards is saying... Go for it. You you can't overdo it in spiritual stuff. There's lots of other areas in life where we can overdo it in terms of stepping out of, you know, step with the Lord. You can't overdo it in seeking God and drawing your pleasure and delight from him. That's a struggle for us in prayer. The sixth thing is we uh, we like to leave it to the professionals or we think we should leave it to the professionals and uh, we may have some here from a Roman Catholic uh, background today. Uh, we can think of that sort of posture, maybe in, uh, in Roman Catholic history, of you know the nuns and the priests and the uh, you know monks and so forth. They'll take care of the spiritual stuff, and the rest of the people. It's just you know we kind of do our thing, but it's not as significant as what those religious elites do. And and maybe we would say ah, that is not. I don't I don't buy that perspective in our minds. But in practice, we do, don't we? I remember, you know, Patience loves for me to tell this story. I, I mean, I, I think I was in like my first couple of weeks of seminary training, um, early 20s. We went to a family, a gathering of hers. And uh, her family's wonderful folks and it, But it was the first time, I think, that I had been to like an extended family gathering Probably 30 or 40 people there I'm meeting all kinds of folks for the first time I knew a few of them or whatnot and, uh, and, and so I'm just a new person, a newbie, a stranger to this event And there's people there that are three times my age Maybe four times my age And we're all gathered together And all of a sudden it comes time for the meal time And you know what happened well, oh, Chris is going to say the blessing for us. I didn't know. I didn't I didn't meet another Chris. There's a Chris here. There's an Uncle Chris. There's a Chris who's the patriarch of the family. I didn't know he was going to kind of do this prayer. No. They call on me to do it, right? Not because nobody else around there could pray. And I'm happy to pray. If you have me at a gathering, I'll pray for your, for your meal. Don't feel bad about it. But it's like we've got a default to the professional. Because our prayers might not, maybe they don't flow quite the same way as as that professionals' prayers do, right? So we think we've got to leave it to the professionals. Jesus says this is for everybody. This is for everybody to be engaged in a ministry of prayer. And I think, you know, picture this vision. Picture this vision. What if our church body, starting with me right up here, because I'll be the first one to say that, you know, you may view me as a religious professional, but in the matter of prayer, I'm not where I need to be. But what if all of us, really engaged with prayer like we were professionals about it. Starting with me up here, what would happen in our lives and in the ministry of this church body. A couple more. Uh, we struggle with prayer because we're unaware of how the evil one is working against prayer in our lives. Again, uh, my men's small group is doing this uh, screw tape letters, which is this kind of crazy book that C.S. Lewis wrote where everything's topsy turvy. And it's one demon writing letters to another demon about how to tempt this particular young believer as as he's trying to grow in the faith. And prayer is one of those things. So this has been on on my mind, too, from that study. But I like what Samuel Chadwick, another one of these folks from church history, says he says, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. He trembles when we pray. It's interesting. Uh, I remember seeing or reading somewhere when the uh, Japanese were coming in over Pearl Harbor for those first you know, bombing runs uh, back in you know, the start of World War II that the uh, the children of the soldiers, many of whom were going to be killed by the attack that lived on the island as the planes came in over, they waved to the planes coming in. <laughs> they didn't know. Right. They, didn't, they weren't aware. They wouldn't realize the enemy was here and about to cause damage. We can be that way with prayer, too. Because we think, uh, well, that'd be nice if I could add prayer onto my religious life. Rather than recognizing there's a battle going on, and if you're a Christian, you're in the middle of it. A battle for your own spiritual walk, a battle for what God wants us to do in this community, in this world, as a church, collectively. And, and it's easy for us to miss it, and so we struggle with how important and vital it is. Lastly, uh, we can just really not have a vision for prayer, and uh, Bill Bill Bright Mentioned that in his famous statement, he says one day when all the secrets of God are fully understood by the children of men, most Christians will marvel that they never fully appropriated the mighty spiritual resources of God's promises to all who believe in Christ because they've never learned how to pray so we struggle for all those reasons don't we and don't worry we're not going to get through all the rest of this outline i put all those notes in there for you to take take with you because they were on my mind and uh and so forth but let me let me say this how how do we begin then Well, let me remind us of something that's just been helpful for me over the years. And you might have heard it a bunch of times as a a sort of method of prayer. Let me pause here. I don't even know if I put this in your outline. But it's one of the most helpful ways to just think about prayer. I always use it to kind of get myself on track for the many times that I'm off track praying. And that's this acronym ACTS. You've probably heard of that before. A-C-T-S. And you say, well... I, want to, I, need to, I need to kind of revitalize my prayer life. You're right, Chris. I, I see a lot of those things you just mentioned in my prayer life. And, and so how can I, through the grace of Jesus, because I want to grow and because I want to be used, how do I get kind of back on track with prayer? Well, adoration is the A. ACTS is the acronym, A-C-T-S. Adoration. And, and that's sometimes the hardest one for us is just to stop and praise God for who he is. What his character, his nature is—not even anything that he's done for us. It's nice to kind of we we can thank him for that, but just praise him for who God is. Think about his characteristics and his qualities. Confession. We do it this, you know, in our worship service, our worship service is kind of structured this way. Start with a call to uh, worship. We're acknowledging, praising God. And then we sing a song or two and then we move into this time of confession. Because what's appropriate when you see who God is in his awesomeness, the next thing to realize is gracious. <laughs> that ain't me. I'm not in that place. Who do I have a right to speak to this? This awesome one, God. So confession is that next part of it. And uh, and, and then Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is probably something we think about more. But I'll tell you what, uh, think about how our lives would be transformed if we were more thankful people. right. Many of us are discontent. Maybe you're discontent with things in your life and your relationship and your family and your workplace. Maybe you're discontent with things in this church body, for that matter. And, And imagine how it would transform our perspective if we just... We're folks that disciplined ourselves to give thanks to God for those many things? Um, maybe we did that the last couple of days, right? You had Valentine's Day. Maybe you and your your honey bunches, you know, exchanged. You know, here is some things I am really thankful for about you. You know, there is things you forget to say in the months and weeks throughout the year, and that's what you are doing in prayer, saying, God, I, you know, these things are there all along, but I, I just forget to thank you for them. So, thanks, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and the last one, as a little harder one, supplication supplication That's just a big word for asking God for stuff. OK, imagine, too, in that category, if our are uh, asking God for stuff, you know, moved more from the Janice Joplin. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Uh, my friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends to uh, Lord, would you really work a powerful work of holiness in my area in this life? I want to run after you, not kind of bumble along towards you. Lord, I really want you to use me in sharing Christ with these three or four neighbors. And I really want your power to, to do that, to do a work. Uh, Lord, whatever, you know, pick something along those lines that, uh, that we would supplicate, ask for. Well, uh, as we come to a, to a close and we think about why we ought to. Uh, pray and pray in that way. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts. There's a bunch of material in your worship guide, but uh, what are some reasons we should pray? I mean, the first one is just this: the, the salvation requires it. The gospel kind of necessitates it. I put down there, I think Romans chapter uh, 10, where it talks about the fact that if you confess with your heart, uh, confess with your mouth, and believe with your heart, you will be saved. You and I can't come into a relationship with God throughout some kind of prayer. It might be just a very rudimentary prayer of saying, I recognize you are God. I recognize that I'm a sinner that I've turned away from you. And I recognize what Jesus has done. And I receive that and want to begin to walk with you. It doesn't have to be super complicated, but that's the starting point. So everybody who's a believer in Christ has to pray. You've got to start with, with uh, praying, talking to God, interacting with God. Uh, so the gospel requires it. Scripture commands us, you don't. You know, you can look on through some of those verses, but it's interesting how the prayer of a righteous man availeth much and praying for one another and healing and so forth. Philippians four. Don't be anxious about anything. Think about all the stuff we worry about. And, you know, the scriptures are just really clear. It's not complicated. Don't be anxious about anything. How? How can I do that? I'm worrying constantly. I can't seem to help it. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then you remember the rest of the passage, don't you? You wonder sometimes, why, why are we, why do I lack peace? Why don't I have contentment in life? Why am I so disturbed all the time? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. You know, if you want to try all this and come back and say, I'm still struggling with anxiety and worry, well then, well, you know, let's, let's figure that out. But many of us, we just haven't even tried this. We haven't tried to discipline ourselves to pray when we're anxious and worrisome. And then Ephesians 6:18, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. There's an alertness, a readiness to pray. And then these last couple of comments, and I'll read a quote for us. You know, prayer is a means of grace. It's how we... Experience that transformation and then you can look at how prayer really builds and transforms our character. But lastly, I want to read these two statements. Prayer is a a way that we participate in God's kingdom. You know? I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel kind of meaningless wandering through life. You know? What is my purpose? What is my value? And is there really some significance in this? And hopefully uh, most of us, many of us in this room have come to understand, OK, my, my purpose is to have a saving relationship with God. And I'm I have identity in that. And it gives me uh, some encouragement, especially you young people. Some of you uh, elementary school kids that are here, junior high school kids, high school, college folks. Uh, listen to what uh, Spurgeon says about the opportunity we have to be engaged with a holy calling as believers. He says, there must be prayer, much prayer, constant prayer, vehement prayer, the kind of prayer which will not take a denial, like Luther's prayer, which he called the bombarding of heaven. That is to say, the planting, Look, picture this, the planting of a cannon at the heaven's gates to blow them open. For after this fashion, fervent men prevail in prayer. They will not come from the mercy seat until they can cry with Luther, Vici, I've conquered. I've gained the blessing for which I strove. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. May we offer such violent, God constraining, heaven compelling prayers that the Lord will not permit us to seek his face in vain. That's that Jonathan Edwards stuff. That's getting us out of our little moderated mindset. But that's the kind of prayer that's going to uh, to have the impact that I think we desire to be a part of in our world invite you to read what uh, Billy Graham says at the end there. But uh, in all of this, I hope, as I said at the beginning, that we'd be folks that are learning how to walk on water. And that one of those areas that we'd be growing in and walking on water is this place of dependent prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we uh, just confess to you That we are not a people who are really marked by prayer. Uh, We pray from time to time. We maybe pray as things arise. But we're uh, not folks probably who are really pursuing prayer as our life. As an absolute necessity. As our defense. As our purpose. And so, Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts to give us a love for prayer that's not simply some duty. We think we're supposed to do this because God says to do it, but because of all that you can do in our lives through it. And I pray that you'd allow us to break free from those many things that cause us to uh, not pray and uh, enjoy the blessing of it. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.